I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Welcome to a special Cheeky Scientist radio show. Today, I want to talk to you about mental toughness in your job search, in your career as a whole, certainly during those last few stages of getting out of academia. You know, this is something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. It's something that I wasn't sure about my last years in academia. I thought that being mentally weak, showcasing a certain level of vulnerability, asking for help, pondering, was the key to getting the green light to graduate, was the key to getting my own advisor and other thesis committees to care more, to help me more. Turned out, though, that mental weakness will get you lip service, but not much else. It will not get you the respect that you deserve in academia. That might come as a surprise to you. Uh, vulnerability, right? Authenticity is important, but being vulnerable in terms of letting others control your career, letting others have complete control, being dependent on others for your career progress, that never results in success. Most often, it's just an easier path that we hope, that we, we, we pray, fantasize about, that somehow People will feel sorry for us and help us because of their, their pity for our situation. Now, this may not be brought fully into your consciousness. It might be something that's underlying, a, a way that you feel like, well, should I, shouldn't I be helped here? Like, if my situation's really bad, then I certainly deserve to have other people in academia or otherwise come to my aid. Of course, this isn't the case. And it's, it's not human nature when it comes to advancing your career. So this is something I've experienced firsthand. When I was trying to get out of graduate school, I was in a very unique situation where, and this is rarely the case nowadays, but it was the case when I was in graduate school where my PI, my advisor, was the chair of my thesis committee. So there's a massive conflict of interest because as you develop in your training and you become very good at getting data you know, advancing things for your PI, advancing really your PI, your academic advisor's career, that's when it becomes time for you to move on, to get out of graduate school, right? To get your PhD. But your PI needs you, especially if they don't have tenure, if they're pushing hard for tenure, and that was the case for my PI. So he would sandbag me constantly on our thesis committee meetings. Really, at the end of every committee, and this is from his own words, the committee would look at him and he would say nothing. Why? Because I was cheap labor. It's the reality of the situation. Everybody is vying for self-interest in a way. And if the academic situation is crushing everyone from a, you know, a professor level to adjunct, I mean, even tenure professors have, have been pushed out uh, consistently over the last several decades. So it's understandable in one sense, but it wasn't a great situation for me. And I remember thinking, what can I do? My first thought was, I just need to work harder for my advisor. That's the ticket. I just need to do more. I was wrong. The more that I did, I found out that I was, uh, and I felt this, but I started to see more and more evidence of it. 
that I was just working for my own destruction. I was working to advance my advisor's career, but nothing was happening for my career. I was getting no support. There was no transaction of value. Doesn't mean that hard work is not good. It means that only working for others, only prioritizing other people's careers and not your own is never going to pay off for you. They're not going to go one day like, oh, okay, well, you've done enough for me. <laughs> Ask yourself, has this happened to you ever? You've really done a lot for me over these last few years, graduate student or postdoc. What can I do for your career? Let me spend the next couple of months focused on your career. That never happens. If anything, they tighten their grip. Because as you become more powerful, more knowledgeable, more self-sufficient in this mentor-mentee relationship, they want to keep you in their place because they need you as cheap labor. This is why the academic mentoring system is broken. So I said, okay, well, hard work's not working. What if I, what if I do nothing? <laughs> what if I just, what if I become less productive? Now, as with any PhD, this was nearly impossible for me because I needed to do something, right? We all have this drive to have an impact to do something. But I, I actively tried to do less. I tried to become more, I guess, what I thought was more academic. I tried to think more, take less action, ponder, go to more seminars, and I get lost in kind of the, uh, the fog of academia. Of course, this didn't work either. So, so finally, I said, you know what? Academia values weakness. I need, to, I need to become pitiful. Now, I'm using stronger words here than what I thought was going on in my mind, but looking back, this is exactly what was happening. I said, I need to have an even, uh, even poorer mindset. I need to really showcase how poor I am, how little my stipend is. I need to lean into that. I started getting a stress-induced health condition, and I thought, this is my ticket. How warped is this, right? I thought, this is my ticket. People are going to feel sorry for me now. Maybe my PI will finally see me as human, feel bad for me, have a heart. And because I've been there for five years, maybe I can get some sort of indication that I can get out of graduate school, that I can get the green light to graduate. I had a first author pu publication. I did reviews. I had other publications in the works. I thought, this, this is the final piece just to show that quote unquote humanity. Of course, my PI didn't value that weakness. He just looked down on it. If anything, like a lot of, a lot of the dominant, mostly passive aggressive personalities in academia, he wanted to exploit it more. Like sharks circling in the water when they, when they see blood or when they smell blood or when they sense it, they don't calm down. <laughs> they circle faster. They get more aggressive. You've seen this yourself. If you've ever been in a seminar where the speaker starts to get in trouble, they start to poke holes, right? Some people in the audience start to poke holes in their logic. You might have even seen some junior professors get in the situation when they're teaching and they start backpedaling. And then everybody else starts to circle, starts to get confident to ask questions. It's human nature. That mental weakness is not valued. Why, why am I speaking so directly on this topic? Because in your job search, it's the same thing. Employers are not going to take pity on you. They're not going to go out of their way to do more than they should to hire you. They're not going to feel bad for your situation in academia. They're not going to say, oh, I know you're getting a poor, you know, low-paid stipend. You really need this job. I'm going to hire you. They're not going to take it easy on you in negotiations and say, well, you haven't been paid a lot for a long time. 
Uh, no, they're going to use your stipend, your fellowship, how little you've been paid, your lack of experience to pay less for you if you let them. They're not going to say, you know what, this, this whole job search process is new to you. Let me explain how things work. You're going to want to ask me for the next time I'm going to reach out to you. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting in limbo and there's going to be a lot of anxiety with that. No, they're not going to guide you in this way. It's not their job. You're going to face rejection. They're going to reject you and not give you a reason. Not going to say, you know what? You did such a great job and you're such a, a worthy candidate. I want to really sit down and explain to you why we didn't hire you. And I want to coach you for next time. It doesn't happen. A lot of it has to do with legal implications, but it doesn't happen. Even those of you that have been hired, you might face a situation where you're cut. There's layoffs. You have to be let go. They kill a project. They restructure. You're fired. You might suddenly realize, wait a sec, I got into my first role and I'm severely underpaid. I'm barely getting more in this first offer than I could have gotten in a postdoc. It's on you to correct those situations. When it comes to mental toughness, there's really three keys that I want to discuss here. The first is having a can-do mindset. All that means is, is taking initiative for yourself, never letting the ball, so to speak, be in the other person's court, never waiting for somebody else to come take care of things. Realizing that you can make a decision to better your situation at any time and then to actively do it. For you to, to decide to even initiate the decision in the first place, what are the decisions I need to make to improve my situation? And then what actions do I need to, need to take right away? How, can I, how quickly can I move from decision to action? That's what I mean by can-do mindset. There's a lot of other ways to describe this mindset, an action for bias, an action-oriented mindset. This is very important for industry. This is why they look for quantified results on your resume. It's why they are looking for people who are translators as PhDs, those who can take technical information. You can do research and analysis. Congratulations. So can every PhD. It makes you valuable, but not as valuable as somebody who can synthesize the results of that analysis into a solution, an actionable solution, a business-oriented solution, and make a recommendation on what to do. That's the kind of mindset you have to start developing. Sitting back, reading a job posting, playing out scenarios in your head, pondering, thinking, evaluating, critiquing right now in your brain because of academia. You're spending more time critiquing the words that I'm saying than being inspired to action by them. You need to get to the point where you will hear a show like this or read a book and think, I got to do something right now and then move on it quickly. The PhDs that I see transition, that's the switch. That's the corner that they turn, the pivot that they make. Secondly, you have to take ownership. There are things that are going to happen to you. You're going to be in unfair situations. You might be in one right now. You may not be responsible for the situation, but you're responsible for how, for how you respond to it. You have to take full responsibility, and employers will test you on this. When they ask you behavioral questions like, tell me about a time when you had a conflict with the supervisor, any hint of you blaming the supervisor, talking negatively, even in a passive aggressive way where they just had a different management style than me, you're not getting a job offer. We had a conflict because of what I did. And here's what I did to overcome that conflict. 
the word I has been all but abolished in academia. You need to say, I did this. I'm responsible for it. This is my fault. But here's what I learned from it. Here's how I overcame it. You will be tested on this. Every behavioral question, if you strip it down to its base premise, the goal is to find out whether or not you can take responsibility for yourself and everything that you, you do, that you can work autonomously, independently, that you can focus on what you can control and move forward to improve a situation, but that you can also work, of course, interdependently. This is why so many PhDs are surprised to find out that the word teamwork actually reduces their chances of getting a phone screen if they have that on their LinkedIn profile or their resume. Studies from TalentWorks show this. Third and finally, the key to increasing your mental toughness, the kind of toughness you will need in a job search, is control. Now consider this. You do not want a job. That's not your goal. You want a PhD-level job. This is important for setting the right expectations for what you're going to go through in your job search. You want a job that's in the top 2%. Less than that, only 1.6% of the population has a PhD. I would say if you're looking for a job like a a research scientist, a a medical science liaison, R&D engineer, user experience researcher, these positions, you're looking for something that's in the top 0.5% of the available jobs in the world. Have you considered that? If you want one that compensates you well, you're going to be compensated at a level that puts you in 0.1%, above 0.1% of the world. They don't just hand those jobs out. There might be demand for them, but they're not just going to give them to you. They want people who are looking for what they can control. Control is not a bad thing. Control will keep you sane during a job search. Always be asking, what can I control in this situation? For example, this past week, uh, a lot of the Cheeky Scientist associates I've worked with in our Cheeky Scientist Association Diamond program have come to me and said, I haven't heard back from this recruiter employer. We're seeing a, a, a slowdown in responses. Hiring markets starting to dip. You've seen a lot of the financial markets dip, which is why you need to start taking your job search very seriously if you're within a year of wanting to transition. And say, when should I, when am I going to hear back? I had an interview. I haven't heard back. I reached out to this recruiter that we were talking, everything was going great. And now there's nothing but silence. I've, I've followed up. What should I do? How can you avoid this? What could you have controlled in your previous interaction to know when they're going to respond? How could you have eliminated some of the uncertainty? How about asking them at the end of the conversation when you can expect to hear back from them? Yes, at the end of every conversation online, at the end of an informational interview, end of a phone screen interview, whatever it is, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing XYZ. Which day can I expect to hear back from you on this position? Give them some times. If they ask you, you know, I'd love to follow up with you soon. What's your availability? Give them times. If they just say, let's talk soon. Perfect. Thank you. Here are three days and some gaps of time that I'm available. Which one best fits you? You could go above and beyond. Go to Calendly or a similar online application. Many of them are free. That allows you to set up an account 
that somebody can click on a URL they can click on where they can schedule a, a time that's aligned with your calendar. Oh, here's three, three days and three different blocks of time that I'm available. If none of those work, here's a link that is connected to my calendar so you can choose a slot. I'm happy to work around your schedule or if you have a similar link, uh, I could book in too. Control everything you can. Control is good. Control will keep you from sitting in limbo, uncertainty, rejection. Do you have any control where you are now? For those of you that are in academia, consider how little control you have. It's time for you to gain some control, some leverage. We're talking about control over yourself and your job search, not over other people. Leverage. Wouldn't it be nice to have some leverage? What if you had a couple of job offers? You know how much leverage that'll give you over your thesis committee? Now they have to hold you back from advancing your career. Go to your graduate student handbook. This is what I did. Their job is to advance your career, not to be seen holding it back. What if you had some leverage? What if you had some options for the first time in maybe forever? Those of you that are in your first industry jobs, do you have any leverage? Do you have any options? Are you just hoping that somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, it's time for a big promotion? Develop this can-do attitude, a sense of ownership, and take as much control as you possibly can. Focus on your circle of influence. These things will ensure you have the mental toughness to transition into your first or next industry job. If you'd love to hear more about how to work with my team, my transition team, if you'd like to get on a transition call with me to talk about where you are currently in your job search and where you need to be, or if you haven't started, which positions are available to you, if you'd like to go over which companies are hiring right now, and start to explore something, get something down on paper, take some control, some ownership over your job search, then I'd like to invite you to ignite that can-do spirit now. Go to cheekyscientist.com. At the top, there's a yellow bar. If you click that, you can apply for a free transition call. The only thing I ask is for you to be 100% certain you want to transition into industry. If you haven't made that decision, do not apply to book a call. But if you have, apply now on cheekyscientist.com. I'd love to talk to you. You'll talk to me. One of my transition specialists, I get on as many of these calls as I can. Uh, we've really created a, a movement with the Cheeky Scientist Association Diamond Program. You can click the success story tabs uh, tab at the, the top of CheekyScientist.com to listen to some transition stories and start to visualize your transition. Imagine what it would be like to change your LinkedIn experience section to a leadership role at a big brand company in industry. How can you get there without industry experience? What, what do you need to do? I'd love to talk to you about it. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.